thanks for joining us. You're listening to Living Fountains with Pastor Jim Stewart of Calvary Chapel, Kansas City. Today, our study is in the book of 2 Samuel. If you're in a place where you can grab your Bible and follow along with us, we invite you to do so. And if you'd like more information on Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, you can visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. Now, let's join Pastor Jim for today's study. Why don't we turn to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9 this evening. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Great uh, little portion of Scripture that we're going to cover tonight. Something we've talked about from time to time, uh, but uh, going through it in the context of uh, uh, all of 2 Samuel, kind of a, a great uh, portion of Scripture to kind of look at and kind of camp on this evening. So we'll just go through the 13 verses together. We're not going to go further. There's plenty in this uh, to discuss. By way of reminder, just remembering in chapter 8, David had gone out, you remember, a couple of different times uh, and, and engaged in battle. And uh, several times the, the battle lines were drawn. Others were coming and drawing the battle lines and coming to attack. Then at the beginning of chapter 8, all of a sudden we notice there's kind of a change that happens as David um, went out to attack and to kind of take new ground. And so I thought it was kind of an interesting transition. All of a sudden, you know, after he had realized, you know, God had given him favor with others and, and things had kind of lined in, and then all of a sudden now he's going out on the offensive, taking new ground. And I think that's important for us in our personal walk, and I think it's important as a ministry to have that mindset, to want to take ground in the Lord. Why don't we read through this? Uh, that's kind of what's been going on. So David's kind of been in this place where they've been going out, taking new ground, uh, that God's given them good victories. And we're going to read through. Let's read through it. To get, I'll, I'll read through this. You can read along uh, in uh, chapter 9. I'll read out loud all the way through the chapter, and then you can kind of follow along with it. And then we'll go back through and kind of break it down because there's a, a, some sequential thought that we want to stay with when we go through it. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul? that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. The king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan, who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Emil in Lodabar. Then David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Emil, from Lodabar. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face, prostrated himself, and then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, here's your servant. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Verse 9, and the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons 
and your servants shall work the land for him and shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in, his, in both his feet. Well, it got mentioned a couple times that he was, uh, he had some kind of impediment, you know, he was damaged somehow, and we'll talk about that in a minute. There's kind of, this kind of breaks down into three main thoughts. The first thought starts in verses one through four. So that kind of breaks down evenly, you know, through in just three main chunks. So if you kind of like to keep a rough draft or an idea of notes, the first thought is that what is the approach that David took in pursuing after him, after Mephibosheth, trying to, he pursued someone, he was trying to pursue and, and have some type of relationship with him. The second thing picks up in verse 5 through 8, and it's David reveals kind of this plan and this purpose that he has. So first he's out pursuing him, and then he's got this plan and purpose that he reveals to him. And then we find in the last little chunk, verses 9 through 13, David uh, placed him somewhere. He had a place for him. And uh, we want to kind of look at this, and and this is kind of the perspective that we, we see this in, is David is like a type of the father, as the father is in pursuit, uh, just like God has pursued us in a relationship with us. David kind of takes that kind of a role. You remember how the father went out to find, you know, waited and patiently, and then when the son came home, you know, he saw that, that son coming home and ran out to meet him. We, need, we know how the father has sought out a relationship with you and I through Jesus Christ, and that he sent his Holy Spirit to pursue us. You know, these are some of the things that we're going to talk about as this breaks down, and we kind of see how this unfolds. So David kind of has that kind of a role in pursuing him. Cultural backdrop to some of this. A king would step in to take over in a kingdom, and David is the new king in Israel, Judah and Israel. They're, they're back combined together now. And he's ruling and reigning over all of this land. Now, in their time period, in the lands around them, when a king would go in and take over, he would pursue, he would seek out, he would go after every relative, every person that was directly connected with that prior rulership, the leaders, and would execute them. Absolutely eliminate them. Some of it was very gruesome in what some of them would do. You know, they'd skin people alive. They would make furniture out of the pelts. I mean, just gruesome stuff. I mean, that's, but that was the, the mindset was to pursue, to eliminate any potential uprising because of their own insecurity. You know, they wanted to make sure that that was taken care of, that there wouldn't, wouldn't be that kind of problem. So there's this fear with Mephibosheth as a descendant of Saul. He's Jonathan's son. 
as a descendant of Saul, he's got this fear that he can't get in the presence of the king. He can't be around the king because of his past, who, where, what his history is and who he is. Now, you start seeing this picture start coming together because Mephibosheth is somewhat like us, you see? Not really feeling like we have any access to God, not really feeling like we have any right to be in the presence of the king. Not, and so we sometimes, and you'll find people you interact with, people I talk to, have that sense about them. Well, you know, I talk to people, well, I'm going to try and get my life in order, and then I'm going to come to church. Well, that's like saying I'm going to get in shape, and then I'm going to join the gym. You know, it's kind of goofy. It just doesn't make sense, right? You know, this idea of well, I'm going to get my life in order and then I'm going to start going to church. But you'll find a lot of people think this way and will really say that. I'm going to try and get things straightened out and then I'm going to, because then they feel like it's okay to be in some kind of uh, a spiritual gathering. I think that's not distant from maybe some things that some of us have thought about or it can happen to us from time to time where we think that way. Think of the lies that we believe from the enemy that keep us from our quiet time, our devotional time, our time alone with God. Think of the lies that we believe that keep us away from getting together with other believers in gatherings like this. Think of the things that are holding some people back from just coming that are even believers, much less those that are in the world, to come and, be, to, and to gather and to be at the king's table, as it were, to be around or in the presence of the king. And so we certainly see that uh, Mephibosheth is certainly something that we could identify with in this fear of, of, of what would happen. Well, the father, you know, just like it is with us, David finds this, this servant and sends the servant, just like the Spirit. So Ziba is kind of like a type of the Holy Spirit that's sent out. The Spirit is sent out to find the bride, right? This is where we read through in Scripture. The Spirit is sent out to find the bride. And so the Spirit then is sent out and is pursuing on behalf of the Father, the King here, is out pursuing, trying to find any of these descendants, any, any relatives. Now, you remember some of this, the reasons for this that, that he wanted was because it's the, the relationship that he had with Jonathan was, was the driving force. Because of the relationship with the son was this driving force that he had to try and, you know, Saul's son, he was just, he had made this commitment, this, this vow basically, with uh, Jonathan regarding any of his offspring or any of that, that there would be peace between them. You remember that their bond was, was a, a, a past, past their generations. They created this family bond between them. And so because of the son's sake, he wanted to bless you know, and honor his, his commitment. So the father then sends you know, this servant, the helper basically like, to go out and find that. Just like the Holy Spirit... It's so interesting how the triune Godhead works to develop a relationship with you and I. How God pursues us. Definitely, the Holy Spirit was a key factor in all of this. The Holy Spirit, the Bible declares that the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and begins to speak things to us through the Word, through other people, through situations, through circumstances. The Holy Spirit begins to speak to us. 
And then ultimately, we open our lives up to the Lord. But the Bible says that you can't come to the Father but through the Son, and you can't come unless the Father draws you. All of the triune Godhead are working together to reach you, to reach me, to reach the world in which we live. God will go to any length to reveal his love for you, to you. God wants to reveal that. This is what David, is, as, as a type of the father, is trying to reach out, go to any length to pursue, trying to find, to honor that relationship that he has. And that's what God is doing in the Son through the Spirit, trying to honor that relationship, that access that's now available to them. But Mephibosheth is freaked out. He's freaked out because normally the pattern is, is my gosh, if I get around God, I'm going to be struck dead. That would be what I would think. That's what we would think oftentimes, right? We're shamed to be in the presence of a perfect God. You know, we're, we're, we're just marred and we, can't, we don't feel like we could be in the presence of, of God. And so we would oftentimes flee that. That's often what's happening. People are fleeing and, and avoiding that. How many times I can tell you that people get to a point where they're about to have a real serious breakthrough in their walk with God or in get to a point of a real breakthrough where they might even come to God and yet there, there's a, a tendency to flee. And I think this is oftentimes the, the case. And so what, what, what really causes him, other than culturally, we know that that's one part of this, uh, but there's some other things that, that kind of make this what it is and, and why it happens this way. Uh, if you turn just a couple pages back in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, this is the, what happened with Mephibosheth. This is how, how he ended up lame in his feet. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. So it started with the fall. And isn't that just what happened to us? That's what made him lame and fear was driving him away. And it's just like we're born into a sin nature and we are for sure, we're lame. There's no doubt about it. We're, we're marred. We're damaged in that sense. We can't present a perfect thing to God because we can't make ourselves perfect. And it's amazing to me how the gospel message is being told in a word picture like this for us in, in just a situation like this. So, in this first verse, now David said, is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul? Why is he pursuing? Well, he's not pursuing to destroy. Why did God pursue other people? Some people say, well, I don't understand why this is happening to me or what's going on. Well, God's pursuing you because he loves you. And circumstances are such that he's allowing things to happen to get your attention, you know, to get you to look to him, to cry out to him. He does that still with us as his kids. He allows circumstances and situations to come in our lives that we might look to him and to trust him. He's in this kind of a spot. He's concerned. Why is it? Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul? Man, what would be the reason? What does he want to do? And he says, he clarifies it, that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake. And that's because of that 
commitment that he had. He finds the guy, you know, is ready to send this servant out, Ziba. He's wanting to display this kindness, and he, the Ziba says, yeah, there, there is somebody. But this guy's, his condition is such, he, he's lame. He, he's not really able to get around on his own or anything. But I know where he is. I can find him. It's interesting in verse 4, low to bar means nothingness. That's what the, the, that, the name of that is, just nothingness. But isn't that where you end up when you're laming out on sit stuff? You end up in just a nothingness mode. It's so true. Then we kind of pick this next thought back up. So David is in pursuit of him, but he's in pursuit of him for right reasons. He wants to reach him. He wants to connect with him. But why does he want to connect with him as this starts to unfold? And he reveals this plan and this purpose that he has in trying to make contact with this last one of the offspring there and somebody that he can show this kindness to. The king David sent and brought him out of the house of Micah, the son of Emiel, from Lodabar. So he brings him out. Isn't that what God wants to do with you and I? Take us out of that place of nothingness. The world has nothing to offer us. The world has nothing to offer humanity in that sense. And yet, so quickly, we can turn to the things of this world for satisfaction, for pleasure, for fulfillment. And yet, it, is, it won't do that. It still ends up in nothingness. I remember so many times when I was in the world ending up feeling that way, just at this end result of nothingness. It will always be nothingness. The day you walked away from the world and came to Jesus Christ, the day you turned away from some of those sinful patterns that you had and the way you lived, the day you walked away, it has continued on the same and continually getting worse as when you walked away from it. You haven't missed a thing. It's the same trash, the same despair, the same crying yourself to sleep because there's absolutely nothing that is fulfilling about your life. It's from event to event, situation to situation, trying to gain some kind of satisfaction and pleasure. And it's emptiness and nothingness, and it will not change. It will not change for your young people today. It will not change for the older people tomorrow. It will not change. It is that way. It is emptiness. And we have to remember it's nothingness, it's nothingness. We still sometimes think, as we've been believers a while, walking the journey for a while, we start to think, well, maybe we did miss something. No, you didn't. You didn't miss a thing. I didn't miss a thing. The world is still going on in a deception. It's smoke and mirrors. It's, yeah, this is going to be good. This is fun. This is enticing for a while, but then it just kind of vanishes just as you're about to grab a hold of it, you know? And it just kind of melts away. It's nothingness. You're missing nothingness, <laughs> you know? What a great thing. If you're going to miss something, nothingness is a good thing to miss. But notice how David is in pursuit of him, not to eradicate him, but to bring him out of nothingness. That's so awesome. That's what God wants to do. God wants to bring people out of nothingness. Don't be deceived when people start trying to get you and I to think that everything's all lined in and it's going well in the world. It may be for a season, 
It's not going to last. We know we walked in and out of that. We know how that goes. So, when Mephibosheth, interesting name, living shame, literally, living shame. So, living shame, which is, to me, I just identify with all this stuff. That's who I was apart from the Lord. Just living shame and actually living in nothingness land, you know? You've tried to flee because you don't want to get caught up, you know, in, in something or get exposed any further than where you are. So you flee. And even in the fleeing, you become even more lame. The fall brought something upon all of us. And it was all through deception. And now that fall made everybody, all of humanity, lame in that sense. But he brought him up out of this place of nothingness. He knows who he is. He knows that he, he knows his own. He can't even get himself around, you guys. Think about this. He's kind of on the run, and he can't even get himself around. That's who, who Mephibosheth is. And he's brought now into the very presence of David. And he, he knows. Now, now he's in front of the king, and he knows culturally what happens around him. And he just, I'm just going to be struck dead. This is what people facing coming to church, we just forget. They think that way about coming to a gathering of believers. How can I come into that gathering? I'm not righteous. I'm not right. I, people, you don't need to really point out and tell people they're sinners. People know they're living in darkness. Maybe not perfectly the way you and I would understand, but they know there's things they're trying to grasp after for satisfaction. We pray for openings to talk about those things, but we don't have to point it out too clear. But as soon as he gets in the presence of the king, he falls on his face. He just drops. He just knows that, man, I, you have every right to strike me dead, basically, right? That's the thought process. You have every right just to eliminate me. And then I love this. David said, he calls him by name, Mephibosheth. Man, do you remember the Lord speaking to your heart? When you, he was reaching out to you and grabbing a hold of your life and there was a personal identification that you knew that God knew you. The king knows you, who you are, knows you by name. This is Pastor Jim. You know, I know as we listen to the Word, oftentimes the Spirit begins to convict us. And you know, Jesus said He's the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through Him. You know, it is very exclusive, Christianity is, and I know that offends some, but it's also all-inclusive in that Anyone who would give their life to Jesus can have everlasting life. But it is exclusive in the sense that Jesus said he is the way, the only way to have everlasting life. If the Lord's tugging on your heart just now, would you open the door and let him in? Just pray this simple prayer of faith along with me now. While you're driving or, or wherever you are, 
uh, whatever you're doing, sitting in front of a computer, wherever you are, whether it's through the internet or through the airwaves, I just encourage you right now to open your heart to Jesus and begin that new life. Just pray this simple prayer with me. Jesus, I want to ask you to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sin, to be my personal Lord and Savior. I thank you for forgiving me. I thank you for the newness of life that I have in you, and I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that my life might be pleasing to you and give you glory. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed and received the Lord into your heart today, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us or another Bible teaching church in your area so you may be encouraged in your new journey. If you'd like more information about Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, simply visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. And if you're social media savvy, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash calvarychapelkc. Also, Living Fountains podcasts are available in the iTunes store now, and you can download them at no cost. If you're in the Kansas City area and you'd like to join us for worship, we meet in Overland Park on Sunday mornings. The service times and directions can be found at calvarychapelkc.com or you can simply contact the church office at 913-681-1635. It's been great spending time with you today in God's Word and we look forward to you joining us next time on Living Fountains. Jesus Christ.